Topics that concern your life, your community, and your safety. This is 5-0-Info on Arizona's news station, KTAR News, 92.3 FM. Here's what you need to know. Thanks for joining us for another edition of the 5 Show. I'm Jamie Rothschild, the host of the show, joined by Ed, our producer. Thank you to Bonneville for this time each and every week to talk to you about the men and women who do the amazing work in law enforcement. We can talk about programs all day, but it's really the people who we love to highlight because those are where the real stories are. And people just like you who are looking to join this amazing field can learn more about being a police officer at phoenix.gov slash employment, or you can call 602-262-6925 if you'd like to learn more about careers within the Phoenix Police Department. Today I am joined by a friend, and I want to say a mentor, Fern Brink. Fern's a lieutenant with the Phoenix Police Department. Lieutenant, thank you for being here. Who are you again? <laughs> Just kidding. Hi, no, Jamie. It's it, it's funny because it's going to be weird interviewing you because our relationship is 99% based on giving each other a hard time. And then there's this, okay, 1% of I know that you can operate in difficult environments. And I think that we really developed that 1% uh, during the years of talking about employee assistance unit, honor guard, all this stuff that we used to do together. But I want to focus on the 99%. You have a really interesting career, but what I've never asked you about is you were also in the Marine Corps before this career. Can you talk to us a little bit about when you knew you wanted to be a police officer, when you knew you wanted to be a Marine? Like, how did that come to fruition? So growing up, I grew up as an Air Force dependent. I grew up most of my life living overseas. I lived in Japan for six and a half years. I lived in Germany for seven years. Uh, It was interesting because when I came back to the States, Parts of being in back in America felt like being in a foreign country. I didn't know how to use the phone system, didn't know how to use the bus system, because uh, everything was different. But at 17, my dad put me in the Coast Guard for four years. And when I got out of there, I went to college and was in the Army National Guard. And then I got a commission in the Marine Corps after that. So the Marine Corps was the last of the three services that I served in. I don't really know. Uh, if there was a conscious decision to become a police officer. But after I got out of the Marine Corps, I needed a job. <laughs> and Phoenix Police was hiring. And I liked the Desert Southwest. And I knew someone that was a Phoenix police, or a police officer at the time. So uh, came to Phoenix and tested. I, I hope you take this as the compliment with w- in which it's meant. Service obviously has just been uh, a vein in your family for all these years. So it makes sense that you joined the police department. You're a really good cop. You're an incredible tactician, but you've always made the job look really easy, almost too easy, in that I've never seen you stressed out about anything. Is that something that you intentionally do? Because now you're leading teams, and I never see you stressed. I never see you yell. It just seems incredibly calm, everything you do. Um, thank you. Yeah, you've always, always, I've always given you what you needed, so I don't know why you have to dress it up. <laughs> um I don't know that I'm – I'm certainly not alone in that field, but I think most of us try and understand that um, if chaos is reigning and things are – bad things are happening and things seem like they're going wrong, that the person you look to for instruction or guidance or security uh, can't be the one screaming also. Um, so I think the best of us make great efforts and great pains to at least look like we're in control even though we're not or maybe we don't know what to do next. And that's when you can take that slight pause and try to figure it out without anyone thinking that you really don't know what to do next either. Um, so, no, I uh, 
the job, it, everything's always been fun, and maybe that's why it looks easy. That, so that's a, a really big compliment I can give you. So you and I were, were sergeants at a time where we had some really talented peers. And there was, at the time, the staffing was such that there was, there was a lot of us out there. And there were situations that would come up, and we would all call each other, and nobody on that team was afraid to say, eh, I don't know, I have no idea what to do. But we figured it out together. Do you enjoy that aspect of policing or the military, that that camaraderie, that teamwork, working together towards a goal? Is that something that appeals to you? Uh, no, not really. Uh, it doesn't appeal to me at all. I live for it. Okay. I was wondering I, I, where you were going with that. I, yeah, I was like, <laughs> I made eye contact, too, with you. I wanted you to look away first. Uh, I, it's, it's the jam. It's what we're here for. Um, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else because of it. And I don't think, you know, making the decision was to be, to be a police officer, I think, wasn't even a conscious decision. It was like, what else would I do transitioning from the Marine Corps into another service industry? But working with people uh, just makes it for me. The environment, the camaraderie, the teamwork, nothing great gets done on, in this organization or in this profession alone. I mean, there are acts where you might be solitary, but truly long-term, great work gets done by a group of people. And uh, I love, I absolutely love that part of it. Everybody who sees you, uh, obviously you can't see on radio, you know, big, tall guy, he's in great shape. And it's funny, when you were you oversaw a net team, a neighborhood enforcement team uh, in the Mountain View Precinct, the, the officers who worked on your team absolutely loved uh, working for you, working with you. Now you're there as a lieutenant in the same precinct. But a lot of people don't know that you had a decision to make early on in your career where you very easily could have said, you know what, I, I've done my time, I've, I've, I've taken some hits. Can you talk a little bit about that, the injury that you incurred and what, that, what is the rehab, the rebuilding was like? So in the spring of uh, 2004, I was on a unit at the time was called Quick Response Team. Uh, and basically apprehensions was kind of our function. Just went out and looked for bad guys. We were sitting in, and it's interesting when you reflect on some of these small decisions that have much larger impacts. We were just sitting in a Starbucks at Tatum and Thunderbird deciding on uh, who we were going to go after next. And Cactus Park Precinct was ch chasing a stolen Yukon. Not a big deal, not uncommon, pretty commonplace thing. And we'd just look at each other and was like, hey, do you guys want to get some of this? And we're like, sure. So we run out to our cars and probably over an hour long pursuit. It ends up out at Sky Harbor Airport. And Ben Ernie was my partner and we had stop sticks. So we moved into a position as this car drives around the airport to deploy the stop sticks. The car had driven out onto what I thought was going to drive out onto the runway. What we didn't realize it was the area it was fenced in. And when I had gotten out of the car to set the stop sticks up to close off his path of travel, if he were to return, he comes barreling down a parking garage down ramp that we were positioned on. So I really didn't have any place to go. So I just dropped the stop sticks and let him go and moved to the edge. Well, he slammed the Yukon against the edge of the Jersey barrier. And so I didn't have anything else to do but to jump over the edge. It's about a 20-foot drop. Uh, so when I landed, uh, I laid there on my side, and I knew something was wrong. I didn't sh wasn't sure what. Ultimately, it ended up being two broken legs. So it was actually just kind of funny laying there when Ben got to me because Tim Shea was there. He was the first supervisor on scene, and Ben rolls me over trying to make me comfortable. And I knew my right leg was broken because I could see – uh, the sock looked kind of funny. And then when Ben rolled me over and he pulled my left leg straight, I screamed because <laughs> there's a little bit of discomfort. And I realized my left leg was broken, too. So uh, that 
was transported to Good Sam. I spent one week in the hospital, two weeks in a full-time care facility, three months in the wheelchair, two years of physical therapy, and four years of light duty. We There's one part I want to go back to. I want to honor your friend because somebody took you in as you were recovering. Yes. And can we talk a little bit about that? So... Sorry. No, I didn't know. It's fine. I just didn't know that. Oh. So, no. Um, Rick Frick, uh, one of my friends at the time, uh, didn't want me uh, living alone. So we ended up doing a uh, an assessment in his house to whether or not the wheelchair could be accommodated, and he moved me in with him. So for the months that I was in the wheelchair and during part of my recovery, I lived with him. So, of course, his son, Kyle, who you know, is a sergeant now. Uh, one of the funny stories that came about, other than the volume of wine I drank with his wife, um, they did an assessment in the spare bathroom that I would be using to make sure the wheelchair could fit through. And uh, they took measurements and they did all this stuff. So we ended up taking the door off because the wheelchair wouldn't fit. Um, and we hung like a curtain there because Kendall Bellavo now, who's a married and a radio supervisor, um, we shared that bathroom. Well, somehow toward the end of my stay with them, uh, we wheeled the wheelchair in there and we realized it actually fit with the door on it. That There was really no reason to ever take it off. And uh, we're like, wait a minute. We had professionals doing this assessment. This wasn't like some weird I want the door off and just curtain hanging there in the shower or in the bathroom. But uh, no, Rick, as you know, has passed um, cancer. Uh, took him from us way too early. So, yeah. So, in honor of Rick Frick, I will tell you this, and I probably not shared this before. One of the things that I appreciate most about you is you you were or are in the honor guard. <clears throat> I was in the employee assistance unit, and uh, even very recently, you and I had the opportunity to. I think the greatest gift we give our folks is uh, whether they're injured or they've passed on. We never want to forget. We always want to honor them, and I think you honor them best by honoring their family. The fact that Rick took you in and, and loved you as his own family, uh, you have never stopped doing that to other people. I see it in, in every life you touch, the way you, uh, you you make people better, whether it's officer safety, whether it's tactics, or maybe it's just, hey, let's go to coffee and talk about some stuff. Everything you do seems to be looking out for other people. And I don't know if that's something you do intentionally, but you really, it just, it pours out of you. Have you ever even considered that? That that was something you did intentionally, or is it how you're wired? I don't know. If, you know, it's funny. You reflect on different periods of your life, and I remember thinking back as a kid that uh, I, it, it took me a while to learn what racism was because in foreign countries, you, uh, you identified as an American first, and everything else was secondary. People have always been important to me. I mean, the department says in its pride statement, sadly, it's there. I don't know that everybody applies it, but the men and women of the department are its greatest asset. That's the quote. And I kind of try to live how I do things as, I, as we move forward, trying to make people do more with less. Uh, I still believe that that's one of the most important things we can do to, to be successful is take care of our people. They'll get the job done. They get it. 
again, I hope you take this to the compliment of his mouth. <laughs> you're not a good cop who does good things. You're a good person who happens to be a good cop. And and I think that if there's anybody out there who says, hey, you know what, I really do want to help people and I really do care about people, I'll tell you this is a career for you. You and I joke around about a lot of things. I am not nearly as um, talented or intelligent as a lot of folks, uh, but there's a place for everybody in this in this career. And I think you and I epitomize that. You find your strengths, you run to it. You seem to be good at a lot of things. I'm only proficient at a couple things. One of the things that I ask people all the time, and I don't know if you ever thought about this, whether it's in your career or in your life, what do you want to be best remembered for? What, what do you want your legacy to be? I suppose it would be uh, if, if you are in need, whether you need a friend or you need someone to help you protect yourself or you're in a bad situation and things are going really, really bad, that if you think about the person you want to show up to help you or just someone to talk to, I suppose I just want to be that guy. When you need something, if you think of me first, that's a compliment. That's how I would want to be remembered. And and I can attest that that's true. As I mentioned, we did an event the other day. You were uh, you were absolutely on that that short list. And I don't know if you were off that day or what, it didn't matter. You were there, and you were ready to step up. So Vern Brink, Lieutenant Vern Brink, thank you not just for what you did in the military, but thank you for what you do each and every day. Because even when you're not working, you're still serving. And I don't say this often enough, but I, I do appreciate your friendship very very much. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for being so so. Thanks for being so well spoken and just speaking the truth so often, Jamie. <laughs> about how proficient you are. No. If you want to learn more about being a Phoenix police officer or any of the careers in the Phoenix Police Department, please check out phoenix.gov/employment, or you can call, as I mentioned earlier, six zero two two six two six nine two five. We really do want to thank Bonovo for this time where we get to come to you each and every week. It's not about the what. It's not about the programs. It's about the people. The people make the programs. The people make the career. And we're always looking for good people. So if you want to learn more about who we are and what we do, please check us out. Until next week, stay safe. You've been listening to 5 Info on Arizona's news station, KTAR News 92.3 FM. For more about Silent Witness, go to silentwitness.org. That's silentwitness.org. Or call 480-WITNESS. That's 480-948-6377. 